You're listening to the Collab Talk podcast, episode 52 of the MVP Buzz Chat series. In this episode, I'm talking with Office Apps and Services MVP, Agnes Molnar. Hey, everybody, this is Christian Buckley at another MVP Buzz Chat. I'm here based out of Lehigh, Utah. I'm talking with Agnes Molnar. Agnes, hello. Hi, Christian. Hello, everyone. I'm really happy and a pleasure to be here today. And so I know you're out on the road. Why don't you give everybody kind of a background, who you are, where you're from, where you are today, where where you're going to be over the next, you know, few months. But, uh, yeah, just tell us about yourself. Okay, so I don't have my calendar open right now, so I cannot tell you the Agnes. We we need details in this, Agnes. Come on. You need to be ready for these conversations. But I have a web page where you can follow me. Anyway, my name is Agnes Moller. I live in uh, Budapest, Hungary. Uh, And I run my own company called Search Explained. And in a nutshell, this is what I do. I explain how search works in Microsoft technologies, including SharePoint and Office 365. And the reason I travel so much, actually, there are two reasons. Uh, number one is that I have clients all over the world right now, Western Europe, in the US, uh, and also in Singapore these days. And uh, the other reason is I really like speaking at conferences. I do uh, you know, sessions and workshops. This week, I am in Chicago. Uh, for the Digital Workplace Experience Conference. Uh, And in the following weeks and months, I'm going to be in Stockholm, in London, Copenhagen, Singapore, obviously, several times. Uh, In the US, at least three more times this year. So you can find me everywhere. Yeah, Agnes, you're one of those people and that I'll go to some random event, I'm speaking at something or there with a meeting a client, go to an event and it's, uh, for for years, and I would see you, and I would see like Jeff Fried, um, you know, talking about search at, at a bunch of those those conferences. But there's, but you're one of those people where I've just where I we don't see kind of the regular at the other MVPs, the people that we know through the Microsoft events. There'd be this other industry event that's not Microsoft specific, and that I'll be like, oh, oh Agnes is there, and like, uh, um, you know, there's there's a few folks that are like that. Uh, Sue Hanley, same thing. I'll, I'll see at a couple of events where I won't see anybody else that I recognize. Uh, but, uh, you know, Jeff and I have caught up a few times at other events, but yeah. So it's, you know, what, what is the latest happening around search? I'm like, what are you out there talking about? Well, it's a lot these days and I'm very happy to, about that. So uh, if you have been following the search world in, in Microsoft, that First of all, you know that SharePoint on-prem search has not really changed in the last five, six years. So I would even say it started to become boring to speak about search and to do search projects because actually one of the primary motivations for me is to learn new things. Uh, But if the technology does not change for years, uh, well, so I I was very close to start something new, but um, these days, uh, Office 365 is really 
uh, exciting and interesting because with all those Microsoft search, the modern search or the new search um, is really new and there are a lot of lot of improvements and there are changes all the time. So for me, it's really exciting because it's something to learn uh, for my clients. It is really exciting because it's finally new. It is uh, really uh, innovative and it is intelligent. Uh, at the same time, it can be confusing, yes. Well, you know, I mean, what you're saying for the last few years, you know, this dark ages in uh, search technology we've been going through um, in the Microsoft world. No, I mean, I mean, obviously, there's been a lot that's been going on. It's it's not like the team has just paused the activities. It just hasn't been at the forefront. Uh, you know, a lot of what's been going on, and or, or has it? Has it been more of a a dev behind the scenes? I mean, as a as an MVP, as a partner, I mean, you. Uh, have a little more insight than the normal, you know, uh, person on the street into what Microsoft is doing around that. And it's not like the importance of search has diminished over the last few years and suddenly now it's highlighted again. It's search is still central to a working knowledge or information management system, whether it be SharePoint or Teams or any other, you know, competitive platform. Search is critical. To it is definitely yeah, it is. It, it 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 is definitely critical, and uh, what really happened behind the scenes is, you know, on the front end there were no changes, but on the back end, Microsoft worked on the graph, for example, which is a really heavy investment. They invested a lot into graph, which is needed for the new modern search, actually. So, yes, it it it. It was a time when there was nothing new for search, um, but but basically now it is it is definitely visible why Microsoft needed that long time for uh, coming out with those new improvements. You know, I just I did a presentation on administration on Teams and was talking about. There's a couple of questions that came up from the audience around PowerShell versus Graph API. Uh, expansion of that capability and when you go in and look at and there's a few um, tables that are out there in this example is showing that um, the the capabilities of accessing this data while there's more dev work to be able to access the information it's it's about twice as much that you can do as far as you know go and automate get access to data it's just not possible yet through PowerShell but it's available through the graph so more and more has been, I mean, as you know, and I think we've even talked about before, I mean, it's been just a topic of conversation. One of the limitations of graph has been get all of the workloads into the graph, push more of this data that we know is available. It's in there that we need, um, push that data to the substrate, get it accessible through the graph API so that we can do more, automate more out of it. And so that's where a lot of this, this development has been. Um, I mean, so it's been, I mean, when they announced and rebranded the Office 365 graph to the, you know, Microsoft graph, and, you know, we, we started to see more of what they were building behind us. And now there's, you know, huge team that they've, they've been building steadily um, that are focused on this, this problem space. So for most clients that you go into, I mean, 
how are you getting them started? I mean, what, how, how do you approach this conversation? Because I'm sure you've got clients that are, have invested heavily in back with the fast search for SharePoint and they've made huge investments in this area. Kind of, how do you enter in this conversation of what's changed, what's, what's new? Um, well, I always like to do in-person workshops at the beginning, like two days or three days with my clients. Um, which means I visit them in their office. Uh, the only thing I ask them to involve as many different roles as possible into this workshop. So for example, it's nice to have the IT there, but also uh, business has to be involved because usually the IT doesn't understand the business enough. They don't understand all the different cases or the different challenges that the business have to uh, face with. So uh, I really like, I'm not saying there have to be 20 people sitting in a room, but I really like to have six, eight or 10 different uh, people with different roles sitting in a room. And then well, when, I, when I visit them, the goal of those workshops is first of all, a knowledge transfer from me to them, what is possible. And I always show them examples. I always show them previous uh, uh, clients, user interfaces, previous client searches, what they have done, of course, without sharing any sensitive information. Um, and the second goal is to make them talk to each other. And this is one of the one of the most challenging part of those workshops, because in many cases, especially for large organizations, they have never met before in person. And now they are sitting in the same room. We are talking about optimizing the content, optimizing the content lifecycle and the processes to make everything easier to find. But uh, uh, they have really, from my perspective, they have great debates, uh, you know, about different challenges they have, about uh, different priorities as well. And of course, everyone thinks that their own pain points are the most important ones and the most critical ones. So during those two or three days, this is what I do. I uh, make them talk to each other. I educate them. And at the same time, they learn from each other as well. And of course, I learn from the organization and learn about the organization to have them further during their journey for search because Obviously, search is unique every, for every organization. So if I talk to you, most probably you have different challenges, you have different content, you have different processes to anyone else on this globe. So it's, it's actually, it's a lot of psychology what I do. Mm -hmm. and, you know, I just was thinking, it's like this goes back. So in the early to mid-90s, I was a technical project manager and what you've just described. I mean, there's always that kickoff meeting, which is a everybody as much as possible sitting around the table. Here's my role. Here's my perspective. Let's talk about the scope. Let's talk about the goals, what we're trying to achieve. And so you can have exactly those, those sessions. When I go in and consult with a, with a client, um, whether it's a technical deployment or it's a, you know, on the marketing, technical marketing side, but it's, I refer to it as this discovery workshop or discovery session. It's exactly that. It's to develop that shared understanding of what it is that we're, 
trying to achieve and the different perspectives there. Um, yeah, it, it's a, you know, the, 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 the more and more I work within the tech sector, I've been in the space for almost 30 years and it's, as you, you know, we, we talked about this, we say this kind of the same thing out there. I know to audiences too, is that very few of the technical problems that we set in front of us are actually technical. They like the, the problem. It's all the people, it's the conversations, it's the understanding of, um, and not about the technology technology right. does things or it doesn't do things. There's, there's switches. It's either on or off. It's features and cables that are either there or not. They're working or not. You know, the lights are on or they're off. Um, everything else is conversation and people and understanding. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, in many cases, uh, people blame the technology. I mean, search doesn't work, search sucks and everything. But actually, search does what you tell it to do. <laughs> and it works with the content that you feed into the search engine. So it goes back to people. It's yeah. one of my favorite comments when somebody will be on, you know, Facebook or something. I lo love the trolling message where they talk about a technical glitch or something. And I always liked responding of the like, yeah, um, user error is really hard. I know. Yes. <laughs> but, yes. Yes. But uh, but yeah, it's it's a, you know, I think with search. I mean, certainly with search. Um, you know, having been through this uh, a few times with organizations, with clients as well, and inside organizations. Um, is again is if you're if you're looking at search through the lens of well here's the features here's what we could turn on and off like wrong approach you start with here's a business this is what we're trying to accomplish whether or not the technology that you are currently you're in the process of purchasing or you've already paid for and it's in place you know if you don't start with what here's what we actually need this is what we're trying to do and that'll help you determine, hey, if there are gaps, if you know where the gaps are, and whether technology can help fill those gaps or not. Yep, and you know, in many cases during those workshops and also during online sessions or online uh, meetings, I ask my clients, okay, let's have this meeting now, but number one rule, do not mention the word search. Let's talk about the business problem. You can tell me what you want to find, but don't mention search. Because in many cases, we are not talking about search. We are talking about the business problem. And search as a technology can be used to, to solve that problem. Yeah, it's a, um, yeah, I mean, it, there, look, there's a lot. You could go really deep on, you know, on search, different aspects of search. Um, because there's not, I mean, for, for years, I kind of got started in the, in the SharePoint community talking about metadata taxonomy development and the very limited or non-existent features in SharePoint around that. That's how I started speaking, you know, publicly in this, in this ecosystem around that. And, and you can go very deep in that, the information architecture, just that, that end user and biz and analyst type capabilities. Uh, then there's the technology. Um, there's the administration of there's, all these different topics. Um, and it seems like my experience, I'd love to hear your thoughts that the, the time is spent least on that, which is on the front end, the user and the IA side versus 
the admin and the and the technology itself, the IT aspects of that. Um, so how do you, I mean, one, do you agree with that? And two, if so, how do you redirect? How do you get them to think more about all of the work that leads up to the technology? Um, one, yes, I agree. Uh, I kind of assumed so. I was just feeding <laughs> that to you, but yeah. You know, just to make sure that I answer all sure, your right. questions. Uh, so number two, I really love using whiteboards. And not only really physical whiteboards on the wall, but also the whiteboard on my laptop. So when, when I start the workshop, I draw what we already know. Okay, this is what you have, this is what you have, this is what you have, and this is what you have. And let's talk about the challenges, let's talk about what you want to achieve, etc., etc. And then we keep drawing that one, what I call the master whiteboard for the session or the workshop. And, you know, when, even when we start talking about search and search features, let's say, I don't know, we want to have those refiners for this, or we want to have an application for HR, which searches in this kind of content. And we always refer and we always go back to that master whiteboard. Okay, this is where it should go to, but those are the dependencies. This is what we need. This is what we also need. And this way to talk about the dependencies, it's, 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 for me, it's always easy to start talking about not search, but the other things around and the other things that are needed for having search. And of course, search is always in the middle, and this is the number one thing that we want to achieve a good findability of content but this way we can talk about everything else and we can physically and literally draw the relationships with, with between everything uh, on this master whiteboard so by the end of those two or three days this whiteboard you can imagine can be really huge and really complex um, but this is also a good way to to show every organization how unique their problem is and or problems are, and also um, how unique the approach that they have to follow. Well, and that and the other side of that too is that when you uh, creating that shared understanding, when you are when you visually map it out like that, um, where then you can start to convey that well, your this decision here's how it might work great for you. Here's how that decision impacts exactly. all these other organizations. Because that's what people are typically blind to. They don't, they say, well, I need this and this is how I need it and I'm, I'm good. That's also a, a problem with kind of a meta issue here, but uh, around you know going in there and saying, and here is the one platform, the one way, the one solution. All of you must, all these organizations, all of your unique needs um, but must all be on SharePoint this way, use it this way, when the reality is that you know, uh, one way is not going to meet the majority of the individual business unit needs or organizational teams, project teams, whatever those things are, which is a huge driver of shadow IT efforts. People yeah. subverting IT process and going around and doing other things, which from a knowledge or information management perspective, means that you then have intellectual property, content, assets 
distributed across a lot of locations. You have no idea where it is, what it is, who has it. Um, you can't manage everything and you certainly can't search for it and find it. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, so it's, it's the same shadow IT problem and I can see it many cases. So with the best intent, for example, and just seeing all those dependencies, uh, in, in many cases, what I can see is just very simple, or it seems to be a simple thing, let's disable external sharing in SharePoint and OneDrive, which might make sense from security and sensitivity and privacy perspective. But on the other hand, in every organization where I can see it, the users start using Dropbox, they start using uh, Google Docs, so some other platform, and they copy content back and forth, which means it's, it gets even more complex and it really becomes a nightmare from content management perspective, from findability perspective, from IT security. Compliance and security, right. I mean, all that. But it's, I mean, the other thing, I actually wrote an article on this last year is that it breaks a bunch of other, like that specific thing. So turning off sharing in OneDrive, which is SharePoint, you know, breaks other features. It, it you know, the people need to be aware of that across multiple workloads. Yes, this is why it is important to map all those things. So if I change something here, that means 100 other places where it has an impact this one way or other. So it's, it's, it's always, yeah, it's always a nice challenge. So what is, I mean, kind of what's the future of this? So where are things going? Uh, what are you excited about and seeing in the world of, of search technology? Um, well, I'm, what I'm really excited about, and I have this on my personal learning plan, so to speak, is how machine learning and artificial intelligence can help search better. Obviously, I'm not saying it will be intelligent enough uh, ever in, in, on the level of, you know, no human. Uh, yeah, we're, we're all, we're, we'll just become the batteries to power yeah. the, the robots. No, I don't buy into that. So I don't think it will ever be there, but I really would like to understand and I really would like to learn uh, what is possible, how we can support search. So I don't know. And, and, and definitely, this is, this is, this is coming. The, the question is just how much and what will be possible and when. You know, th there's a lot of um, online programs, a lot of universities, so in person as well, but um, uh, that are really building up content around uh, AI and around, uh, you know, information management. There's, there's free things that are out there online. There's paid um, I, I think that, uh, I mean, Microsoft is an example because this obviously is a much broader than just Microsoft technology yep. issue, but they've been building out assets that are available. I believe it's all through the LinkedIn learning program because they want people to go and be educated and be aware of what, you know, capabilities are out there, what AI, ML capabilities are possible uh, and, and get people to, I mean, it's not like, I don't think that there's formal certifications. There probably are. I'm just not aware of them. But just that there's a lot out there that somebody who just wants to go be read up on and understand the basics of what's happening and being able to more closely kind of monitor what's changing in technology, there's just 
more and more content resources available for that kind of thing. Yes, I think the biggest challenge for me is finding the time when to do this rather <laughs> than finding the resources. But yes, I agree. There are more and more resources and they look good. They look I, absolutely good. I, I know as we're wrapping up here, that was, that was a, uh, a, a slide on uh, the fact that we're at time. I know that. That's what you're doing here, Agnes. I, I get it. Okay, let's wrap up. <laughs> No, I wanted to tell you, but oh my! It's the same thing. It's like I used to read so much, and I just I don't have time to read as much. Uh, you know, just books that I like now. I spend most of my time reading and articles and things that I just need to do with current clients and just to keep up with different things. But um, you know, it, it's I was actually talking to my son about how it's like I don't know the last time where I just had like a book and went out in you know, outside and sat under a tree with a nice summer in the shade, but with the breeze blowing and red. I used to love doing that, going outside and finding a nice quiet place to read. I haven't done that in years. I still do that. No, I'm not saying every day, but I try to read a real book. Okay, it's Kindle now, but still a book, not, not technical, not business, just for fun. And, you know, I live in a... A family house where we have a nice backyard so when I'm home I, I really like to sit outside with my book with a cup of coffee and just read and also I try to do that when I travel to find a place to sit outside if the weather is nice so I do that I'm, now I'm, more and more with travel as well there's always I always have a book with me when I travel and I don't always get to it but whether it's on the plane or sitting yes. in between you know and I'll try to go through that because it gives your, it does, it gives your, and I prefer, I'm a science fiction reader, so I prefer to take a business, a leadership development, or or a sci-fi book um, to give my myself a mental break from the technology stuff that I'm working on. Yes, and also the, the interesting thing, and this discussion could go much further than that, but I always read before I go to bed, every day. Hmm. Uh, and I found, you know, with all those gadgets we have that helps you to identify the sleep phases and, and the, quality, the quality of your sleep. So I, I find if I read something related to my job, uh, like I try learning something or something, I don't sleep as good as when I read something that just turns off my brain and I read just for fun. So if, if I make my brain thinking about something, that, that, that makes my sleep worse versus if I, you know, have some fun before bedtime, I sleep much better. So there are now, so now, many- let me, let me, But let me ask, Agnes, is, is Fabio on the cover of any of those nighttime reading books? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good. All right. That, that. <laughs> But uh, no, I, but I completely agree. It's, it, it's, uh, and that's also a, um, uh, you know, a, a great uh, uh, kind of trick to um, when you're stuck in a problem, you know, work related yes. problem is to um, stop thinking about it, stop being wrapped up in that and go and do a separate activity. Um, and that's where reading something, you know, different again, leadership dev or, or for me or science fiction it, it, and I'm suddenly able, I'll get in even a few pages and be like, oh, you know what? I just thought of something that would help solve that other problem. Yes. 
And yes. it might take me 30 minutes, it might be 10 minutes, um, but that generally happens. I, I was just gonna share just really quick though, something I do, like in the morning, that's a great point about not jumping right into work. You're talking about at night and sleeping better. In the morning to wake up, part of my, uh, my, my regimen is you know, eating breakfast, is trying to, whether I'm hungry or not, eat something even something small, um, but is, uh, I do um, logic problems. I do like a Sudoku or something like mm -hmm. that. So, and it's amazing how I could be groggy thinking about that, but I, uh, you know, as I kind of track that and I'm trying to, uh, you know, do the hardest setting on the app on the phone and, and do that, but even just playing for a few minutes, one game sharpens me, wakes me up fully, and then go and get started with things. But same, I, I try to do that same thing of not jump right into work straight, you know, first thing in the morning, but do something else to wake up the mind. Yep, absolutely. For me, those are my children, but yeah. <laughs> they are still young, so they need me in the, in the mornings. But uh, yep, I agree. That's absolutely, that's absolutely good. Well, I really appreciate your time today. If people want to get in touch with you, learn more about you, what's the best way for people to find out about you or reach you? Um, basically, my website is searchexplain.com. You can find my blog there. You can find the event calendar of me, yes. uh, where, where I can be found and when. More uh, detailed than you were prepared to talk about, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, so it's uh, searchexplain.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Molnar Agnes or at searchexplain. And yeah, you can find me. I'm not saying everywhere, but at, at many yeah. places. Well, excellent. Well, enjoy the rest of your time there in Chicago. When are you home? Uh, I'm flying home Wednesday night, so okay. it's a quick trip now. A couple more days. All right. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot for your time. It was great talking to you as, as always. Thank you, Christian. My pleasure. Thank you. Wow.